Music. Reviews. Chat. Poems. Comedy. Writing. Interviews. ELFM. It's radio for so much more. My name's Natalie Quatermass. And I'm Henry Raby. And together we are... Vandal Factory! Factory. Oh, lovely to have you all here, folks, on our third ever episode of the Vandal Factory show. We're here talking about art and activism. We're also a little bit of a distance away, Natalie. We are, we are. We're, We're sort of keeping it safe, so there's no more of that intimate... Banter, this is all no, socially distanced banter. I, I can't punch you anymore <laughs> and give you a hearty slap on the back. So if you feel there's an increase in Henry's jibes and a decrease in <laughs> Natalie's temperament and <laughs> resilience. It's yeah, it's, it's, we, we've got a nice little space between us. Um, but how are you, Henry? How's your hope? How's your anger? I don't know. I'm feeling like, come on, let's get on with January 2022. Oh, it's, really? Yeah, a little bit like, well, it ain't getting better. So <laughs> we've got to try and make it not worse, I yeah. guess. Oh, well, yeah, lovely. I like that determinate, deter, not determinism. That's something else. Determination that you've got. That's good. How about you, Nat? How's your hope slash anger? Uh, pretty non-existent. It's more like, how's your joy versus how's your despair you're a christmasy um, person you're looking christmasy Does i am i joy? am i am that's this is what my uh nat's provocation stations is going to be about mm. but i don't I, i'm struggling to find much hope or anger right. at the moment i'm more wallowing in between just yeah. a good old christmas wallow yeah just a good old christmas wallow see you see you in january <laughs> <laughs> go on what what you been up to so um, a couple of weeks ago, I went to join the UCU picket lines, UCU mm. University College Union. Um, they've been on strike for the four fights. Do you want to know what the four fights are? I would love to know what the four fights are, Henry. The four fights are for, are oh, you going to love these, Nat? They are for equality. <gasps> I love that. They are for workload. Well, better workload. So oh, not, good. So not more workload. <laughs> more workload. We uh, demand more work. They want job security. Yes, good idea. And the, good and good. I didn't think of that. And, the, <laughs> and they want fair pay, fair pay. So even though they've been in these fights for like a couple of years now, um, I was at the picket lines um, over in York, and you know they're still this. Maybe that's where my hope comes from. They're still cracking on and yeah. doing it, even with the weather, even with the the with the COVID, with the circumstances. Like people are still there on those pickets. So. Can I play a song for them, Natalie? Oh, go on then. If, you, if I must. So this is a song by an American folk singer called Anne Feeney, who sadly passed away this year, but she leaves a huge, massive legacy of, of music and activism. And this goes out to everyone. Uh, there's been uh, strikes with loads of courier organisations, strikes... Um, with I thought people. you said strikes with loads of curry. <laughs> I was like, I'm there. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, yeah, the, uh, the the lots of couriers unions across the UK, including in Blackpool and Sheffield, have been on strike. So this is a song for them, and it's called "A War on the Workers." But it's it's why we should fight the war on the workers. It's not advocating for a war on the workers. Thank you for clarifying. Listen up, we've got a war zone here today, right in our heartland. Across the USA, 
these multinational bastards don't use tanks and guns, it's true. But they've declared a war on us, my back, it's up to you. Oh, it's a war on the workers. War on the workers. Oh, it's a war on the workers. War on the workers. Oh, it's a war on the workers. And it's time we started calling the shots. Going to work could be the death of you and me, but we're not unarmed. A weapon solidarity Jim Beals and Karen Silkwood The list goes on and on With every year that passes 60,000 more gone Oh, it's a war on the workers War on the workers Oh, it's a war on the workers War on the workers Oh, it's a war on the workers And it's time we started calling the shots When they boost your copay living legend that well oh, <laughs> oh no, no henry got sad now uh oh. that was the uh living through yeah, her music yeah. I and dreamed, in our spirits hey and hearts. I, I dreamed i saw anfini last night alive as you are me there we go that's yeah. the the old reference um so that was from her 2001 album have you been to jail for justice do check her out but it's time now for nat's provocation stations <laughs> The chat train is pulling into Nat's provocation station. I love Christmas time. 
I am here for it. The fairy lights, the families, the friends, the food and the wine. Yes, please. And every single year I managed to forget how sad I get. It always hits me, hook, line and sinker, square in the face. Yes, tis the season for the tears of a clown. Whether you are religious or drowning in consumerism or just trying to get through it, the darkness in our days is one thing that we all have in common, at least in this part of the world. I know I'm not alone in saying that these long, dark days affect me deeply, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Every bone in my body is demanding to hibernate and not be woken up until the crocuses come up. These dark days invite a fair bit of introspection. I cannot get that word right. Introspection. Yay! So please indulge me. These dark days highlight the gap between the haves and the have-nots in the many forms that they take, whether it's those that can afford presents and parties compared to those that can't afford food or energy bills, or maybe it's those who have stable family and friendships compared to those that find themselves isolated and alone. Maybe it's those who can find joy within themselves compared to those who, for whatever reason, cannot. And my heart is bouncing in between these gaps, ensuring that I celebrate for all that I have whilst trying to be thoughtful and caring for those that have less. My heart tells me that I should be solely focused on the have-nots, that I should be trying to write a motivational call to arms that would encourage everyone and anyone who has got something to give, to give it freely and with an open heart. After all, isn't that what most Christmas stories are about? Maybe I should be giving you a socialist spin on A Christmas Carol and talk about how instead of throwing the poor Carolyn rabbit a penny for a turkey, Scrooge should be looking to use his wealth and status to make a systematic changes for the industrial class system at his time. But it's also at this time of year when my heart struggles to find very much to give. I struggle to turn up for my friends or my community, never mind people I don't know. I struggle to find hope or anger. But this is Nat's Provocation Stations on our show about art and activism. So come on, Quatermass, give us a definition. In all definitions of activism, and believe me, I've read a few, there are always a couple of mentions of change and action. But what about the times when we can't find the energy to believe in building a better future? In order to make meaningful change, we have to believe it's possible. That's why we talk about hope on this show. And another word for hope is belief or faith. And isn't this the time of year to find faith? There is light in darkness. You just have to find it. These are the words written by Bell Hooks 
who sadly passed away this week. She was a pioneering social justice activist, academic and author, and I've really found solace in rereading various quotes of hers that floated across the internet this week. There is light in darkness. You just have to find it. My hope is that in these darkest of days, we can all take a moment to find the light, find our faith in a better future, whatever that means for you and your community. I hope you can find time to nourish yourself so that you've got something to give when the crocuses come up. And I'll leave you with something else that Bell Hooks wrote. Greed subsumes love and compassion. Living simply makes room for them. Living simply is the primary way everyone can resist greed every day. Living simply makes loving simple. So I am going to slide in to my banger of the hour, which is my go-to song when I'm struggling to find hope. This is the legendary Sam Cooke, A Change Is Gonna Come.
But I know change gon' come Oh, yes it will Okay, folks, it's time for our very first interview of uh, this episode of Vandal Factory, and we were absolutely delighted to catch up with the legend that is Mr. Dermot Daly. So we went to see his show, the show he's just directed, which he talks about in our interview. Um, but uh, we just wanted to set up, how do we know Dermot Daly? Well, uh, I know him from... How don't we know Dermot Daly? Well, I first met him on your birthday night out, so it's probably... Did you? Yeah. When we did karaoke? Oh, we did karaoke, mate. Oh, went for a curry. Yeah. Oh, remember those days? Yeah, karaoke and curry. Oh, yeah. Dermot is just one of the finest people <laughs> to work with. I've worked with him as a youth theatre practitioner he's a filmmaker he's an actor he was a teacher he's one of those just really super (laughs) talented amazingly sound he's just a brilliant father and husband and oh god i i couldn't i cannot sing his praises enough so when he um for it and um this particular my voice was heard but it was ignored was also a red ladder theatre company production and was supported by leeds playhouse and oldham coliseum theatre as well and we're hoping that it's finished the current tour but it's going to have another life possibly in edinburgh or into 2022 so everyone should definitely uh, keep an eye out if you didn't manage to catch it this time this is our interview with dermot hey dermot how you doing all right, mate. How are you? Good. I'm all right. I'm a bit sleepy. I know that feeling. Yeah. Sleep How... is um, it's overrated, I think, is sleep. <laughs> you can't do stuff when you're sleeping. So we've managed to catch you in like a 50-minute break in between. What are you doing at the moment? Uh, at the minute, I am um, lecturing at uh, the Conservatoire in Leeds. Lovely. You're in a lovely setting. You've got a guitar, an out-of-tune electric guitar in your hands. When I think of the word conservatoire, I don't associate it with out-of-tune guitars. Well, I mean, when I think of the word conservatoire, you've got to kind of say it in kind of twang, haven't you? Um, Yeah, I I consistently feel feel a bit weird being a lecturer at a conservatoire. Because, you know, it's not the sort of thing that people like me do. Or, What's or people like that? you? What does that mean? Well, I don't know. Conservatoires, like, when I was kind of 18, 19, 20, they were kind of where all the rich kids went. Right. And, you know, those people who had, like, huge access to art and libraries and mm. um, vast amounts of tea. And I think that it is, it feels like it's bucking that trend a little bit. Um, and I'm genuinely really pleased to be part of you know the the faculty here and and kind of driving that change a little bit but the real reason we've got you here Dermot <laughs> Daly is because you have just directed a marvelous show called my voice was heard but it was ignored yeah we the tour finished two days ago three days i don't even know what day it is a couple yeah. of days ago we finished in sheffield we finished at the crucible in sheffield which was a bucket list thing for me i think oh, brilliant yeah, I mean, we start, you know, we started the show at Lee's Playhouse. And again, that was another bucket list thing. Like the big screens outside the Playhouse that kind of look over towards the bus station and uh, what used to be the police station, the, um, what is it now? The car park, Victoria, John Lewis thing. Yeah. Uh, 
And kind of seeing our, our poster on that kind of big screen was quite moving. The first time I saw it, it was actually quite moving. There was a show that happened at the Playhouse years ago called uh, The Handing of David Oluwali. And David Oluwali was um, an immigrant. He was a black immigrant who came to Leeds who essentially was killed by the police. The police that killed him were based at Milgarth Police Station, which is directly opposite the Playhouse. Mm-hmm. And I will never forget when that show opened, the, this was before like LED screens and all that sort of stuff. So it was a big kind of massive vinyl poster that was on the side of the playhouse looking back to Milgarth. And the poster was his face. I, I, the, the hairs in the back of my neck have gone now because yeah. the, the thing about 30 years later, he won. To kind of be in that position is, is kind of beautiful. I feel like that is a massive... Um, uh rabbit hole that I'm thinking about that like talking about victories and like small victories or symbolic victories that that protest movements and activist groups can focus on or maybe not focus enough on if we're always focusing on the next battle or what we get wrong or what's not right we've always got to be heartened by the fact that actually we are we are further on than we were but we're not as far on as we need to be we haven't even talked about the show yet. What was... Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> so, so the why don't you tell us about the, the genesis of this project, My Voice Was Heard? So My Voice Was Heard, but it was ignored. It's a play. It was written by um, a playwright called Nana Kofi before. He's based in Stockport. And he was on attachment with Box of Tricks Theatre in Manchester. And they did a reading of it in January 20. 20 i think or december 2019 but it was it was okay pre pre the before times pre COVID, when everything was okay when <laughs> everything was okay obviously <laughs> all gone wrong in the last year everything was hunky-dory before then but no so so he, he wrote it into i think that's right he wrote it in 2019 it's a play that invested i mean it's really difficult to put it into simple sound bites it investigates everything you know it, it kind of takes its genesis from race mm-hmm. but it also touches upon um sex gender um sexuality um femininity masculine toxic masculinity class uh, class power structures education um, it's got it it's, all it's, it's, <laughs> it's so packed and it's you know it's an 80 it's an 80 minute show that is in the nicest way quite brutal. It takes a while to kind of process everything afterwards. And I've been in that bubble for um, this time around for a month and I'm still not out of it yet. I've still not processed it all because there's, there's a lot. January 2020, Rod saw it in Manchester. I got a phone call in May, I think, May or June last year. What were we in, 2021? Yeah, 2020. Um, so I got a phone call in May or June 2020 asking if I'd be interested. Um, I said, yes, of course. Um, and then read the script and screamed, yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've always wanted to work with Red Ladder Theatre Company. I always thought I'd work with them as an actor. Um, I mean, Red Ladder have the, you know, a massive history of just doing work that speaks, um, that talks about social justice, that looks into areas of our lives and our communities and our society that we don't always have a light on. Um, and Rod is an amazing human being, just on his own. He's just a lovely bloke. 
we got through to our dress rehearsal on the 26th, which was our last dress rehearsal on the 26th of November. And midway through that dress rehearsal, he who shall not be named, the dude with the, the hair who lives at number 10. Oh, yeah, um, I've heard of him. Yeah, um, he announced the whole tier restrictions and all that sort of stuff so killed the tour so they were midway through their last dress and it killed the tour and we packed the we packed it up put it in the van put it in storage and we're just like it, it was a story that had to be told and it felt like unfinished business mm-hmm. so fast forward to november the first this year um we and i'm really thankful we have the same cast who came back the same two that came back as two-hander uh, misha and jelani who are brilliant um and we got it on its feet in six days I think the standout highlight for me was we did two shows um, at the Tobacco Factory in Bristol. And I clearly hadn't been to Bristol, hadn't really been out of uh, out of my home much for the last couple of years, the last year. Um, and obviously the Colston statue came down uh, last June in the wake of George Floyd um, and people re-realising, some people realising for the first time and other people, um, I'm putting my hand up here, galvanised by actually this has been happening forever, so uh, spotlight's on us, let's go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that statue coming down going into um, into the harbour in Bristol will be, uh, for me, a defining image of 2020. Yeah. And because we were in Bristol, I kind of decided that I wanted to go and, and have a look. I wanted to go. I wanted to retrace those steps. So then Cass joined me and we went to the plinth. And the marks are still there. The mark where that was left on the on the paving slab underneath the plinth is still there. Um, and we did the walk from the plinth down to where it went into the harbour, which is longer than you think it is. And then carried on down to the M shed, which is at the bottom. If, you, if anyone knows Bristol, this will make sense. If it doesn't, um, we're talking about a mile, mile and a half away. We walked down yeah. to the M shed, which is where um the statue is situated with a contextualizing exhibition. And it was just, I, I, I just found it really moving, mm. really moving. Um, of kind of thinking there were thousands of people in that square pulling that statue down mm-hmm. and rolling all that way and putting it in that water. Um, and I'm still not sure how I feel about it being dragged out of the water. Right. You know, I'm still not sure about how I feel about that the plinth is still there in Colston Square. You know, the, yes, they've renamed uh, the Colston Hall, but everyone's still calls it that. Yeah. You know, it might be called the Bristol Beacon, but it, it still calls it that. And one of the things for the show, for my voice, that I was really adamant about was that everything would be um, British. We'd really hone in on the Black British experience. Yeah. Because... There is a massive thing whereby the the experience of Black Brits is always mitigated and seen through the lens of American Black mm-hmm. culture, which has its place. You know, I'm not kind of denigrating that. But I think because that's been lofted so high, people are forgetting and people don't realise that some of the stuff that happens in the States happens here. I, I wondered how you as a theatre maker approach that rehearsal space where you know you've got these actors you want to digest these themes how you sort of look after them how you look after your cast how you look after yourself but equally then is there a point when you go we just got to put on a play I couldn't approach this play if I didn't approach it for I couldn't approach any artistic work if it didn't come from somewhere deep in what I laughably call a heart we spent the first week of rehearsals mining the text and, and doing the actory work and the theatre work and then those side conversations came and that, that's truth and that's happened to me or that's happened to someone I know. 
And then you get to a point where you go, right, so we know this is based in truth, which therefore heightens the need to tell that truth. Mm-hmm. And then actors do their work and directors do their work and light designers and sound designers do their work. But we never forget the genesis of that. And I think one of the things that I will always be thankful to Red Ladder for, and it was one of the conditions that I kind of set and one of the things I spoke about when I took the job on was to ensure that we had a counsellor in case anybody needed it. We were digging into areas that I didn't know where it was going to go. Also, I wanted the cast to be able to go and sleep in their own bed if they wanted to. So, you know, our cast, one of whom was, at the time she was based in Huddersfield um, and the other member of based in Manchester but it was commutable it was they could go home if they needed to because I think it's it's massively important to be grounded especially when you're dealing with things that are difficult if we were to play a song on East Leeds FM what song would you like us to play on East Leeds FM so for for the show um I put together a soundtrack which was what the audience came into um, and this year I added a song to the soundtrack, which is the one that I'm going to ask you to, to play. Um, and it's a song called You Know What by a, uh, an artist called Graft, who is from Leeds. It kind of talks about the Black British experience. Like all of the songs that we used were um, from Black British artists. And, you know, yes, we went for people like Graft, who uh, worked within grime and hip hop. We went for Stormzy, but we also went for bands like Block Party. Mm-hmm. and um, Skunk and Nancy were in there because mm-hmm. they too are black and British and making music. Play, play, dirty, dirty, dirty. That's all I think about. I think about, I think about. <laughs> you know what? I see enough man hate but not make peas on a block. You know what? What? You the company you keep. Watch them friends they you got. You know what? Hunt African mom if you try put hands in my pot You know what, what? if you're talking scene then graft this cream with a crop You know why, been pro on the mic from Bounty High Way back I used to go in the dance with Nike and Max and Black Levi's You know why, back then we thought the swag was fly Now that I'm wiser and older, you know what, you told no lie I'm different to them man there, they make music kind looks trendy It's always drip and spill, Gucci, Louis Vuitton and Fendi Like they've run out of subject topics, wow man I got plenty See how you hold your mic on stage Can't compare we The word no example in Leeds I set that example properly For the bad mind hating on me Just know only God can stop me When you've done what I've done for the city Then big man you can be cocky I own the pitch An experienced bagsman like Francesco Tops Years I've been waiting for this No better feeling seeing it happen No chance I'm taking a piss You're in full time no slacking I woke up, gave thanks And promised I'd make it rapping Then look where I end up now GCO play dirty the pattern You know what? I see enough man hate but not make peas on a block You know what? You the company you keep Watch them friends they you got You know what? Hunt African mum if you try put hands in my pot You know what? If you're talking scene then graft this cream with a crop You know why? Been pro on the mic from Bounty High Way back I used to go in the dance with Nike and Max and Black Levi's You know why? Back then we thought the swag was fly Now that I'm wiser and older You know what? You told no lie Small fish you ain't got no bragging rights Won't stop to my names in likes And taking trips on private flights Wanna own my private jet Get up on deck, private sex One life so live it the best Same way pump pump get feel up Jump on beats and give it caress I go in, wheel it, come back Big man plan but me can share them That's when info I leak like tap Me a action man, me a deal with chat Shush, let music speak 
You talk way too much on street What kind of boss has pockets fat And not help their people eat You know what I see enough man hate But not make peas on the block You know what What? You the company you keep Watch them friends they have got You know what Turn African mum if you try Put hands in my pot You know what What? If you're talking seen Then graft this dream the crop You know why Been pro on the mic From about knee high Way back I used to go in the dance With Nike Max and Black Levi's You know why Back then we thought The swag was fly Now that I'm wiser and older, you know what? You told no lie. GCO from the ground up to Pluto. Hit it, flat face. I'm almost ready for blast off. That was You Know What by Graft, a request from Dermot Daly, who is a legend. <laughs> We keep on saying the word legend. I've noticed that. We're calling everyone a legend. It's because it's because we know great people. We've got great people on the show. Uh, me and Natalie decided we're going to give each other a present live on air. Yeah. So this is a, actually like a long-standing tradition that Henry and I have for kind of Christmas and birthdays and stuff that we will often give each other tickets to go see a thing. We've done that for quite a long time, haven't we? We saw... Uh, a Carla in Bradford, that yeah. was a birthday present for me, and Loki in Leeds. Yeah, and then you got me a ticket to the Skints, but I got my dates mixed up because it was a Blondie tribute band I was taking my dad to see, so oh, I yeah. go to that one. <laughs> yeah. uh, Sarah Pascoe, we were on the oh, front yeah. row, that was one. Yeah, so we've seen some great stuff. Uh, so we're continuing, continuing the tradition with all our little raptors sitting at home listening. So we've we've both got something here. Do you do you want to go first? Okay, I'll go first. Um, okay, Hedwig and the Angry Inch at Leeds Playhouse. Do you know it? I know it's a thing. You know, I know it's, it's a thing. It's a musical. Is it a musical? Yes. Oh, well, what would I? What would you say if I said to you, Henry Raby, a euphoric night of rock and roll <laughs> roller coaster with singer Hedwig, who is a hedonistic, genderqueer, anti-heroine, seemingly hell bent on destruction. I'd say that sounds like a banging night out, Natalie Quaid. Uh, I look forward to it. We have to go in costume. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I, I watched the um, film with John, the who's my boyfriend. If you don't know, listening, <laughs> forget that other people are listening. Watch the film, and it's brilliant. Right, it will okay. be awesome. And we know the director is Jamie Fletcher, who's a friend of ours. Okay, so we yeah. hopefully get Jamie on the show. On the show. Oh, exciting! Okay, I love this. Oh, come on. You're always so good at, like, drawing little pictures. No, you've got to go the first one first. First uh, one first. Yeah. Hey, Nat, do you like the 6th of March? Do you like the Opera House in Manchester? Oh, my goodness. And there's a little picture of the Opera House. I've never been there. Do you like queer socialist left-wing singer-songwriter Grace Petrie? Are you kidding me? <laughs> My future wife. <gasps> Do you like Australian comedian writer Hannah Hannah Gatsby? Oh my <laughs> lordy! Then your probs, Mebs, have a nice time on the sixth of March seeing Hannah Gatsby and Grace Petrie at the Opera House in Manchester. Woo! That is awesome. Oh, mate. Oh, my goodness. Oh, but I'm also like a bit scared of Hannah Gatsby. Like, she's so good. Mm. But I'm like, look after my heart. Please don't break my heart. You, She's so good. I'll send her a message. But if you damage Natalie's heart yeah, with might... your acerbic truth-telling stories. 
And then I might need Grace to come back on and be like, <laughs> everything is going to be fine. Don't yeah. worry about it. Did he, did, did, I didn't know you'd heard the new album. Yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> so uh, we're going to go to another interview now, our second interview of the show um, oh. with uh, Samaya Khan. So I've only met Samaya. This is the second time meeting him when we did the interview. Oh. Uh, and it was really busy at work. So I had to do the interview in the cleaning cupboard. <laughs> yeah, that was that was great. <laughs> Probably why uh, maybe my, my volume isn't isn't great in it. But do you want to set up who is, now dare I say it, the legend that is <laughs> Samaya Khan? Samaya Khan is um, a really dear friend of mine. She's one of those friends that we are lucky if we speak to each other twice a year. But every time I talk to her, I just feel like we pick up exactly where we left off. And I think about her all the time. I feel like I've got a little Samaya in my head like talking all the time and she's really articulate and expressive person and actually the reason um I asked her to come for an interview is that after our first show that night once we went home and were carving pumpkins that night I fell asleep and I had a dream that I was interviewing (laughs) Samaya for this show and I woke up and was like that is such a good idea and maybe um She's not a typical guest because technically, like, she's not a employed artist in that her role is as a, a youth worker. Um, and I knew as soon as I text her, what she would text back was, but I'm not an artist. I'm not an activist. And I think that's how a lot of people see themselves, um, which I just think is nonsense. She's one of the most creative, expressive people I know. And I just wanted to share her viewpoint with the world with as many people as possible so love her very much Samaya Khan this is Nat to Samaya Khan I stop laughing at me this is a very serious interview <laughs> laughing with you Natalie, yeah my okay friend. thank you well you are here because you're my very good friend and I think, well, you were literally one of the first people that I dreamt about after me and Henry had had our first recording, because when the words art and activism come to mind, my subconscious brings you up. Uh, and, And to me, you are one of the most expressive, creative people I know, but you strongly disagree. Is that right? I don't know if I like, I like disagree, probably. Yeah. I mean, maybe I don't disagree. I just don't feel like I do anything. Well, you know? go on. Why why do you start by telling people what, what you do do? Um, do do. What, <laughs> <laughs> what do I do at the moment? At the moment, I am working for an organisation called Peach, the People's Empowerment Alliance for Custom House. Um, it's a small organisation based in like East London where I am a youth organiser. Um, and I'm working with young people to support them to organise within their community. Um, is that why you're so cool and down with the kids? Is that why I'm down with the kids? Yeah. They would never say I'm down <laughs> with the kids at all. They, they constantly say things that I don't understand. And like, I don't try and I've just accepted my fate. Like I am older than them. That's it. You know. Yeah. Um, and this is a job of an organiser rather than. And, and not to put down other youth workers or my other roles, but the role of an organiser is quite different to sometimes like working in a in the charity sector, right? Um, even though we will be a charity soon. Um, so this really is about young people deciding what they want to change and me just backing them, but also really massively talking to them and 
and teaching them about power um, and and organizing, which you know basically me and the young people are learning that together, um, which is an experience. It's you know it can be good, can be not great, um, but we are learning it together, and it means that we're just like we're talking about power a lot, and and we are having and there's no like. Um, not pretending basically so when they talk about how we're going to do this there's going to be a problem here it's like yeah actually the council's really going to like not be okay with this they're not going to want this how are we going to get them on board how are we going to tell them they have to do this um and and kind of talking about that um at the moment our sessions are you know we're, we're trying to find we, we're really doing this work together which i think is quite funny because not funny, actually. I think it's good, but it really does take a lot longer to do stuff because I'm sure. not just going in there being like, bang, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Yeah. Instead, I'm like, okay, this session doesn't seem to be working today. You're obviously not into it. Why are you not into it? And then, and then you know, then they give the feedback and like they're like, yeah, this is boring or I do want to be interested in this, but this is not the format I can learn it in. And it's like, okay, and then like I need to go back and change that again. You know, when, when we first met, which was in an arts organisation in the West Bank, mm-hmm. let's not forget that, in, in the Freedom Theatre, one of the first things you said to me was that you write poetry and that's always been one of your go-to means of expressing yourself. Mm. Was that one um, of the first things I said to you? It was one of the first things when you were like, this is one of my creative, oh, really? you know, outlets. Sure, yeah, I really distinctly remember it. Yeah, I started I started writing uh, poetry when I was probably like 17 or 18. I can remember the exact incident. I won't go into it, but like I can remember the, the first poem I wrote and how cathartic it felt to like get those feelings outside and on paper. And then I just then I just continued to do it. Basically, mm. it was like, oh, OK, I feel really sad about this thing. Which I, I felt really sad about lots of things. I, you know, Awa was a teenager, but, you know, I had a bit of a difficult, difficult stuff. And so poetry was a way to, like, get things out. And I found it really difficult that they are, there were cliques in the spoken word community. And, and it's funny because I don't think that I was excluded in these cliques. I think that actually I was very much included. And, like, I just remember going into some spaces and people would be like, oh my God, hi. And that's really nice. Obviously you walk into a space and someone greets you really nicely. But I think there was one particular time where that happened. And then I, and then someone else came in behind me, like right behind me. And so they would have heard all of that and nothing happened for them, obviously, because no one, no one knew them either. So it's not like people were being mean, but, and like, this is within any community, within any space. Like, I don't know why I've fixated on the spoken word community for this. It just, yeah, it just means that I, I distance myself from it. Um, I, I think this is really important because when I'm putting on a gig and I'm hosting and organising it, I always get quite anxious and stressed and I'm not very good at that chat and meeting and greeting and making people feel welcome. But my co-host, Stu, is really good at it so he can take up those reins i think you can clearly tell that you're a damn good writer from what like from what you put on on instagram um in one space but one that i saw recently was you buzzing from a dj night that you'd been to oh yeah because you and you said something along the lines like most most of the time it's full of big white men 
and this was full of people from <laughs> Henry looked at himself then <laughs> but this particular night was far more South Asian brown people at it yeah I'm learning how to DJ Woo! wow um or I've learned how to DJ how when do you ever say that you you've you're done learning a skill We'll never know. I did a DJ course um, earlier this year in the summer with, I think, are they a production company? Or I don't, I don't know what company now, but they're called Saffron Records. And this program was called Mix Nights. Um, and every Wednesday for about two months, we went to pirate studios and learned how to DJ with three quite famous DJs, to be honest. Some parts I was absolutely terrible at it, to be honest with you. Um, I We got to like maybe week six and me and my friend, Am were just like, why do we not know anything? Why does everyone <laughs> know everything else? And we were panicking, um, but it was great. And I had lots of fun. And we had a showcase um, at The Cause, which is a club in, in Tottenham in London. And it's really sad because actually it's closing now um oh, which no. is a really really sad thing I've I've spent a lot of time at the course and I've had a really nice time um but that's where our showcase was and we um and we played some music there but the night that you're talking about that I put on my Instagram was a night um raising money um raising money for something um and and there were two DJs that I really wanted to, to see. There was also Bicep there, um, but they weren't playing their own tracks. Um, but there were two DJs, one called I Had a Dream and one called Young Sink, which if you're into music at all or kind of into the underground scene a bit, like you would, you probably hear of their names um, because they're, they're just doing really well at the moment. And like, it's really exciting to see. I Had a Dream is Pakistani, Young Singh is Indian. I've been to the cause so many times and mainly I go, they're all like different clubs in London and they're just really tall white men who all wear white t-shirts. Anyway, so we when we I went to that night and that was it was really beautiful. It was really beautiful to to listen to their music, to listen to the tracks that I've listened to again and again. And this time I'm hearing it in a club really loud. And I like I bought earbuds beforehand so I could go really close to the speaker and like not, you know, do bad things to my ears. I am here and I'm enjoying this music and I can feel it in my body. And mm. that, that is really nice. And they also played some like, you know, old school South Asian tracks of like things that you would play at weddings that we used to play at weddings in the 90s and stuff like that. And I was just Amazing. like, what is this? Oh. And it was really good. And I just I just remember going home and feeling like really content and, oh. and just thinking like I now I can finally understand what some of my friends have felt when they go to nights out and they're like, oh, my like my body feels it. And yeah. I was just like, I just don't have that because South Asian music has never really made it to the like mm. London clubs. I don't know if you know of like, like the daytime, the daytime um, uh, parties in the like, I think it was like the 80s by like lots of South Asians. So like, I think mainly like places like South or Birmingham where like, you know, Bangra has definitely um, grown up or come from. Um there were there were parties put on um in the daytime so people can so south asian girls and people that aren't 
or like you know they weren't really allowed out or whatever at night they can go to these parties as well and it's like a massive part of like South Asian British South Asian history in terms yeah. of music and dance and the club scene because yeah it was really inaccessible to South Asians basically. Sumeya what track would you like to nominate for us to play on East Leeds FM? I am gonna ask you guys to play um, a song or a track called Heed, I think it's pronounced, by a DJ called Manj. Wow, so that was here by Manch, who in uh, actually in her email, uh, Samaya says he's a producer, not a DJ, but she doesn't quite understand those da- labels, and neither do I. But I loved it, <laughs> <laughs> and now I do believe it is time for Henry's favourite part of the show. It's time where Henry gets to do his own thing. Hello and welcome back to this year's Eisteddfod. 
Coming up next, we're very lucky to have a performance from the acclaimed soloist Henry Reby. Oh. oh I, don't, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> Sounds like he's doing his own thing. That's right, folks. It's time for Henry Does His Own Thing, my favourite feature. OK, here's a, a brand new poem for you folks. I've never performed it live before. I think I might have done actually on a Zoom. But this is, this is beyond the world of Zoom. This is digital radio. So please enjoy. York, like all cities, my home is haunted. I'm not talking about the attractions cheaper via coupon where theatre graduates apply makeup for jump scares or robed entrepreneurs entertain tours at allotted hours, no. In back rooms of pubs and beyond the bars, I have supped where spirits insist on sticking around. With an IPA in me one night, I saw three ghosts rally round a table, dicking short story spooks taking shots. Who's got the next round? A man dragged straight from the 1800s stands and raises his tankard. Looks like he was dragged straight through a thorny bush. A toast to the Nottingham captain, he barks to the bar and regales the tale of Luddite uprisings and noose evaders who took up arms to wipe out the national debt. A toast to King Lud, whoever he may be, and curse the blue bloods who sent us to die in Waterloo mud. A curse on the lawmen and magistrates. May they drink poison and drown out their guts. The other ghosts down drinks into floating bellies like Caspers on a pub crawl. Another pipes up. Percy Shelley lived here in York, that romantic swine, and if his ghost comes crawling in, I'll give him a piece of my mind. He penned that poem about standing still, <clears throat> I quote, And if then the tyrants dare, let them ride among you there, slash and stab and maim and hew what they like, let them do well. Shelley, I was at Peterloo, and when they came to grind us down, I'll tell every future protester to always stand your ground. What use is it to have a blade or bat and batter you? Picket line, augury field to be made motorway, or Whitehall wailing against fees and cuts. They made me a ghost too soon, was British sabres spilled my blood. In the smoking area, the third ghost was a girl swirling with mist, a being of incorporeal fog, lost aside the vapours and smokers outside. She was young and spoke with an Irish tongue. I'm glad these lighters and vapes are the modern way. My sisters and I made matches in London factories, beware the fossy jaw we'd worn and cry. For every 19 that lived, one of us would die. She sung of unionising and igniting walkouts, of street-blocking police and their own strikes. And when one bloke muttered, hey, it's health and safety gone mad, she set fire to the twat. The beacon brought in more ghosts who agreed, aye, this pub is rather good, beer tastes a lot better than at the Row Street Club. And that night I met the ghosts of rioters and mutineers, diggers, blanketeers, Luddites, Chartists, Soanites, Specians, the toll puddled from... A from Toll Puddle to Aberdare, the starving and the starved, the deported and the chained, supped ales and gins through chipped teeth, broken jaws, each with a story about the state and kings and laws, and in the distance, carried over blooded seas by bitter winds, the haunting writhe of coins and boats and whips and coffers bloated, statues raised and cursed legacies. 
And when the last order's bell tolled, it didn't toll for these rebel spooks. Off they went en masse, singing songs into the skies like banshees all with booze up to their eyes. After all, they were making up for time lost, suffering under the seditious meetings act. They tried to career into the club before a bouncer said, Excuse me, have any of you pale folks got some form of ID? So I left these spirits outside the club trying to get in and threatening a haunting when I went home and wrote this poem and did some angry tweeting. And it strikes me like the lick of Sambuca flame on a Saturday night. Our ghosts would give this fresh cop of masters a decent fight. Oh, wow, Henry, I love it. I love it. Bloody, when did, I when bloody did you love write the that? 1800s. I've been writing it over months. Have you? It's quite rare, really, to just yeah. keep adding bits. It's quite a bit of a Wikipedia poem. Is it? What do you mean by that? <laughs> Poems that you write with Wikipedia tabs open. So okay, it's, um, yeah, yeah, but, lots of references. Yes, but sure. I mean, I've always loved um, the radicalism of the 1800s. Um, and, um, always. <laughs> always, since I was a wee lad, yeah. a baby in arms. <laughs> But um, uh, for a mate stag do, because that's the kind of people we are, we yeah. went to the People's History Museum and um, <laughs> I also read a book over lockdown about uh, uh, revolting revolutionaries of the, the sort of 1700s into the 1900s and the fight for a republic. And I generally think that um, the, 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 we were on the verge of revolution. There was more mm. disdain for masters and kings and queens like like there's quotes people saying that the country was constantly on the verge of revolution in this proto this idea that there was constant organizing and mobilizing anarchic just momentum yeah. yeah of just where where not taking us anymore um and that's where like many anarchists would say that organizations like the tuc and the labor party they control the working class whereas they yeah. didn't exist so actually you've just got this massive class consciousness ripe for revolution anyway wow. um but yeah that's my poem so any feedback email it to feedback at henry <laughs> Rainby. <laughs> That's amazing. No, I, I'm. Well, I was listening to it. I could. I was thinking about ghosts, and it is. You know, Christmas time. I do believe in the, a little bit of magic at this time yeah. of year. I believe the, in the goodness of men and 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 ghosts of present and past and future. They usually come in a different order: <laughs> past, present, and future. And um, and I was thinking about you know all the ghosts that that we I was imagining all the people that we've mentioned in the show today mm. so we've got music from Anfini or me quoting bell hooks or mm. you know Dermot and Samaya and Hermange and uh, Sam Cook and all those yeah. people kind of standing around us um and I got a little like little tingle up my spine and thought oh Maybe the flame of hope is staring in <laughs> me. You've managed we to do there. it. Well done. And that <laughs> and that night, Natalie was visited by three ghosts. <laughs> the ghost of hope, the ghost of anger, and the ghost of being an absolute legend. <laughs> <laughs> the third one is my favourite. <laughs> um so that's it for Vandal Factory episode three. We will return in the new year. For, we will. For more absolute scrapes and shenanigans. Oh mate. I wish you a very, very Merry Christmas. May I wish you a Happy New Year. Good. <laughs> so we're going to finish now with a song by a band called Dream Nails. Um, they are an amazing 
queer feminist riot girl band um and uh, i had the fortune of bit they were one of the first bands i saw when restrictions started easing and they've released a christmas song because every punk band eventually releases a christmas song um and uh this is sort of a, a beacon to anyone that is in a lonely place this christmas um especially um people in the lgbtq community who sometimes have really difficult christmases with families um that uh, don't don't respect and accept them so this is an absolute banger and it's our last song and it's called lonely star Christmas do the people at home Make you feel more alone A heteronormative bar Is that what family's for When the people at home Make you feel more alone We see you this Christmas We see you the whole year through Sending strength and love one thing right you know what's that find a lonely star tonight and tell them 